There we go. We're going to be back in Ephesians chapter 1 today, and we're still not going to get through what I hope to get through um, the last time. Ephesians chapter 1, if you have your Bibles flipped there, Ephesians chapter 1, uh, I'm just going to read verses 7 through 14, and then we'll dive in there. It says, In Him, that is in Christ, we have, now presently have, present tense, and forever, we now have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, riches, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Him. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things, according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, we are in desperate need of Your grace this morning, and we are thankful that we have it. God, we come to You as toddlers, not as experts. We have no black belts. We have no, uh, there are no experts in this room, Father. Uh, Father, we come to You hungry and thirsty. Father, I just pray that You would provide for us beyond all we could ask or imagine. Uh, not to us and not to us, but to your name be the glory forever and ever. And I just pray that you would reveal uh, deep things to our hearts today, that we would experience you, that we would be able to relate to you in a deeper way than when we came in this morning. I pray you give us the joy of our salvation. I pray you would cause us to rejoice. I pray that you would cause us to delight ourselves in you and that you would give us the desires of our heart. And we pray it in Christ's name. Jesus, we pray this for your glory. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, in our passage today, and we hit on this last week, um, about this great inheritance that we have in Christ. And we talked about the word lavished and how that Greek word is used when Jesus is multiplying the bread and the loaves of bread, there was excess. There was abundance. There was more bread than, than we needed. It's kind of like, you know, the, 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 man, the rich man who is, who is in agony in hell, he says, give me just a drop on my tongue, just one drop of water. And God, our Father, not only gives us a drop of water, He gives us Niagara Falls. He gives us an ocean of infinite joy. And the command that He says is to come to Him and swim in grace. Swim in it. Receive it. That's how we glorify God. We glorify God by enjoying this great inheritance that He's given us. And so today, Paul is focusing especially on this great inheritance. He's focusing and drawing our attention on this, the down payment of this inheritance, the guarantee of this inheritance, which is the sealing of the Holy Spirit that He promised us. And he's, he's focusing in on how all things are being united in Christ. And we're not going to get too much into the Holy Spirit today. Jared's going to come back next week and, and build on that. I got so caught up on the inheritance 
and all things being united in Christ in heaven and on earth. Uh, and that's what we're going to be focusing on. But the bottom line is that you and I were made for something much, much larger than ourselves. Infinitely larger than ourselves. As John Piper has said, and we talked about last week, you don't go to the Grand Canyon to build your self-esteem. Uh, you go to the Grand Canyon to lose sight of yourself. And what we have before us in our passage this morning, and in all the verses in Ephesians, and all the verses of the Bible, is an infinite and eternally valuable Grand Canyon. An infinite ocean that we can never exhaust or get to the bottom of. And it's so much larger than you. It's so much, it is beautiful. And that's what our, our souls, and our, we're, we're hardwired. It's, it's in, made in who we are to hunger and thirst after this beauty. And, and so Jesus comes along and he says, Behold, I am making all things new. I am making all things new. And so the prayer for us this morning is, as we get into these verses, that we would all be like little children, not like experts, not like people that have a black belt in theology. There are none of us in this room. Uh, if, you, if you claim to have that kind of knowledge, uh, you don't know God. Uh, that's the irony. Uh, we are all like little children. And, I, and my prayer for us as I've been praying for this sermon is that we would come in here as such, as little children looking at the world for the first time. Um, I can remember driving to church with my grandparents, one of my earliest, it's like the earliest memory I have. It was on a Sunday morning, it was there in the springtime, and I could see like uh, their, their vehicle was dusty, and I could see like beams of light and the dust floating on the, on the beams of light. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. But I remember everything in spring, I remember the fragrances, I remember all that, and I pray that this would just be, the fragrance of life would just be clear, and we'd all be like little children as we go through this. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and dive in. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 10, uh, and then we're going to go through verse 14, but we're not going to get through especially uh, uh, most of the Holy Spirit. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, As a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now what is he getting at there? Is that something that we should take literally? That He is uniting all things in Him? Well, first and foremost, this teaching is not unique to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, Paul is teaching this throughout his letters. Jesus teaches on it throughout his writings. Uh, if you look at, uh, and the point of it is um, that the message of Christianity doesn't stop at justification. And I think justification and the cross are absolutely huge and vital. There is no Christianity without the cross. There is no Christianity without justification. But the judge doesn't just stop in the courtroom like we were talking about last week. It doesn't just stop when the gavel falls down and says justified. The judge then takes it a step farther. He goes and adopts us into his family. And then, and then we, but we don't stop at adoption either. If we're not careful, the message will stop at adoption. What we've got to realize what Paul is teaching here is that we have been adopted into something. We've been adopted out of something and into something. And that's what Paul is getting at right here. Uh, and it's, this is where the good news began. The good news began at the cross. It didn't end at the cross. So look at Colossians chapter 1, 19 and 20. And we're going to be in Colossians uh, 2.15 just very quickly. Paul writes, and see if this sounds familiar to you. See if this sounds like Ephesians chapter 1, 10, 11, and through 14. It says, For in Him, for in Christ... 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, to reconcile to Himself what? All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Whether on earth or in heaven. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open, or it could be translated, public shame by triumphing over them. Things in heaven and on things on earth. So we do right to preach on justification um, until we die. And then we should, we should remember that story for all of eternity. We do right to speak of adoption as, our, as sons and daughters, but we can't leave out the inheritance that we have been adopted into. And that's great news. Our inheritance is great news. And we should be the most joyful people on the face of the planet. And I would argue that if you're not joyful right now, go home and preach the gospel to yourself. I'm not saying that, that you can't grieve. I'm not saying that, that we can't have pain. But there should be this, Piper calls it, weighty joy that we should have as believers even in the midst of pain and agony. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. The cross was painful, but there was hope on the cross. He was yearning for something ahead, looking ahead. And so we who are in Christ, we are very wealthy. We are, you who are in Christ here this morning are the wealthiest people on the face of this planet. Did you know that? Yeah. You see, prosperity, we have this prosperity gospel, and it's no gospel at all. But prosperity is not the problem. Prosperity is not a curse word in the Bible. We are very prosperous as Christians. We have been given a great treasure in Christ. There's a man Jesus talks about who finds this treasure hidden in a field. It is a treasure. He uses that word on purpose. And the treasure is so valuable, he says, go it. This man sold everything that he had and he went and bought the field. He invested in that field. There is no greater investment. So prosperity is not a curse word. There's this great treasure. There's this great investment that is found in this field. And prosperity is not the problem of the prosperity gospel. It's the timing of it. Joel Osteen writes a book and it's called Your Best Life Now. And therein is the problem. It's not our best life now. Tell that to Jesus as He's hanging on the cross bearing the weight of your sin. That wasn't His best life now. It's our best life later. But that later, we're called to long after that, that country that, that is not of this world. We're called to hunger and thirst after this great treasure, this great inheritance. We're not supposed to just, just downplay, we don't downplay that and treat this great wealth that we've been given like it doesn't matter. And I think that's why church has become so boring for so many people, is because, all right, I've been justified, my sins are forgiven, well, okay, and that's great. But the thing is, is it doesn't end there. It begins there. There's so much more that we have been brought into. This thing that Abraham was longing, this, this eternal land that Abraham was longing after, we've been given that great inheritance in Christ. And so we have a purpose now that is so much bigger than we are. And that's where the thrill comes in. And we want to be a part of it. And I think if we knew about it, had just a taste, just a small foretaste of this great inheritance that we've been brought into, we'd want to participate. We'd be longing to bring more people into it 
So we've not just been saved from hell, we've been saved into heaven. And we've got to remember it's both of those things, not one or the other. So Jesus says in the greatest sermon that's ever been preached, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? The kingdom. That's, that's prosperity. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn over this great spiritual bankruptcy that we have. Our deadness and our sin, our total depravity. Blessed are those who mourn for what? They shall be comforted. And then blessed are the meek. Guys, listen, this is what we're going to talk about today. He's being literal here. Blessed are the meek for what? They shall inherit what? The earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for what? They shall be what? Satisfied. Guys, this is, that's, that's, that's Christianity. We're talking about Christianity. And so we should be very, very happy. And here is why. Christ and the earth are our inheritance. Christ and the earth are our inheritance. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Flip there, please, if you have your Bibles. Some of you have it memorized. That's Maybe not. It's worth memorizing. I don't have it memorized. I need to memorize it. Romans chapter 8, 18 to 25. Listen to what this is teaching. Listen to what Paul is teaching us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we're talking about cosmic reconciliation here. We're talking about a cosmic reversal of the curse. Uh, this redemption is huge. It's so much bigger than we are. And it's beautiful. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that's Adam and the curse, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it, with patience. So what is this hope that we do not see? It is through this hope that Paul says that we are saved. So what is this great hope that we do not see? And we're just going to barely scratch the surface this morning. This is a glass dimly lit, but we're going to march through the old, old story. We're going to go back to Genesis, and we're going to look very briefly at all the covenants or all the promises that God made to His people and then we're gonna, we're gonna, they're all going to come to Christ. Every single one of them are going to be like a shadow. Christ is going to be the substance. And guess what? You are, as a Christian, you are in Christ. And so what is Paul talking about when he's talking about this great inheritance? In a nutshell, Paul is saying that your inheritance is that every promise that God ever made is yours. Yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's your inheritance. So we probably need to know what those promises are, right? If this is going to be satisfying, if this is going to bring comfort to the soul, to the mourner this morning, we probably need to know what those promises are. Because Paul is writing that, you know, in this hope, this great redemption 
of not just humanity, but this great reversal of the curse, not just for His people, but for all of creation. We need to know what God's promises are. So we're just going to briefly walk through the story. Genesis chapter 3, what happens? First of all, God creates Adam. Everything is good. Adam and Eve, very good. says, Adam, go forth and multiply. Adam goes and multiplies, and, uh, but he bites into this, this fruit, and he curses and cracks and disjoints the entire cosmos when he bites into this fruit. He poisons everything and disjoints everything and darkens everything by biting into that fruit, by saying yes. to You want to be like God? Yes. I want, to, I want to be like God. So he bites into that, curses, and cracks the cosmos. It was a dark time. And the creation has been groaning like a woman in childbirth ever since. And then what happens? Adam begins to multiply. But it wasn't just humanity that was being multiplied. It was sin that was being multiplied. And so the whole earth was filled with the darkness of sin. The whole earth, people began to die. Animals began to attack other animals. Lions began to devour antelopes. Now we have Shark Week, like we talked about last week. Seals are being devoured in pools of blood. One thing after another, killer viruses, cancer, nursing homes. This is what happened with the curse. This is what began to multiply and subdue the earth. And so this is what happens directly from Romans 8. We have a creation that is groaning and a creation that is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And there is glory that is to be revealed to us according to Romans chapter 8. And we're eagerly awaiting our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And this is the hope that Paul says that saves. I heard a good definition of hope once that uh, some theologian, I can't remember what, who it was that originally said it, um, but it says that hope is faith looking forward. Hope is faith looking forward. And so what we're talking about here is this uh, looking forward to what we have on our future redemption. So what happened after the curse was that uh, sin multiplied with Adam, and then God becomes sick, and, he, and he's, uh, he regrets that he makes man. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, he looks upon man, the thoughts and the attitudes of man's heart was only evil continually. And so God in His wrath floods the earth. And so you've got this flood, not just coming down from the sky, but if you read through Genesis, it's, it's an incredible story. Water like spring and like Old Faithful and Yellowstone is coming up out of the ground. So water is coming down and up. And it says the entire earth was covered 22 and, and 22 and a half feet of water and it lasted for 150 days. So just imagine Mount Everest is under 22 and a half feet of water. What God did was, is He baptized the earth. He immersed the earth. The Greek word for baptism, it means to immerse. So God buried the earth in water. And guys, it wasn't cute like your children's story, your storybook Bibles have told you it was. Guys, the sun wasn't shining. It was dark. I saw a painting, and I've got to read this guy's name. It was called The Deluge by Gustave Dore. I have no idea if I pronounced that right, but if you could Google it, you could see it. I recommend Googling and searching up this, this painting called The Deluge. And it's powerfully and deeply sobering. Basically what you have is you've got this rock that's coming up out of the ground or out of the water, and it's kind of like, I guess it's like the top of a mountain. 
and you've got this mother who has her child and she's swimming and she's trying to place her child up on top of this rock, this peak. But on top of the rock, there's a, 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 a tiger. And so, and then this is the story. It's, it's black and white. It's very grim. And perhaps the most troubling and sobering part of the whole painting is there are vultures at the top circling around. Death is everywhere. It's not, there's no rainbow. There's no sunshine. It's a dark, it's the, the wrath of God covering the face of the earth, baptizing the earth in His wrath. And then God makes a covenant with, and then you've got the ark, Right? And God puts eight souls in the ark. And if you, read the, if you read Genesis, it literally says that God sealed them in. That God shut them in to this ark. The ark didn't look like a luxury liner. It wasn't a cruise ship. It wasn't Disney Cruise. Uh, the ark looked more like a coffin. And God sealed His remnant in that ark. Eight souls. But, don't overlook this. And you know this from your children's stories, right? Not only was humanity sealed in the ark, but creation was also sealed in the ark. Two of every kind of animal was sealed in. And God Himself was the one that did the sealing. And after 150 days of wrath, God opens the ark. And Adam and the remnant come out, eight souls. And all the creation comes out with them. And God makes a covenant with Noah. And God, after Noah, comes to God and creates a sacrifice and says, Thank you. So Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, look at this. This is the covenant that God made with Noah. The gospel is all over this. Jesus is all over this. This is a foretaste. What a, what a beautiful illustration. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Have we heard that before? It's the same exact thing he told Adam to do. Go, be fruitful, and multiply what? And fill the what? Fill the earth. This is your home. Fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the, of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. I give you everything. So this is good news for the hunters in here this morning. We're in southern Illinois. God gave you Bambi's mother. Uh, you can eat Bambi's mother, okay? It's okay. It's not a heartbreaking thing. You just got to make sure you're not wasting what God has given you. But it's just like what God told Adam. He gives humanity the earth again. And all of creation again. And right before this, God promised to never flood the earth again. And He established the four seasons again. And He gives everybody a sign the bow. And, and, and get this, guys. It doesn't say rainbow in Genesis. It's, it simply says the bow. So let's sit in a Skittles commercial. This is a, this is a bow like a bow and arrow. So let me ask you, where is the bow aimed? It's aimed toward heaven, is it not? And where are we at? We're underneath the bow. The bow is aimed toward heaven. We're underneath the bow. No more rain. No more flood, I should say. No more flood coming down to destroy the earth again because we're under the bow, the bow shield of God's grace and mercy. And who is that ultimate bow shield that the bow is pointing toward? It is ultimately fulfilled in Christ on the cross. Hide yourself in Him. We just sung about. 
rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. So this is the gospel in this covenant. And the earth is involved in this great redemption. The earth is involved in this great reconciliation. God is going to redeem and purge this entire cosmos of sin and of curse. It's going to happen. So then you move on, and, and, and Noah begins to multiply. And sin begins to increase again. Right? And then Babel. And then just one thing after another. And then God gives a covenant to Abraham. And we're just barely, I know I'm not doing these things justice. But my main point is, gonna, this is the inheritance, okay? Genesis chapter 17, 7 and 8. God says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for what? Everlasting possession. Everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So God gives three gifts. He makes a promise, and there are three gifts in this promise that He's ultimately going to give to His Son, Jesus Christ, the true and faithful Israel of God. He's going to give the true and faithful offspring of Abraham. One, He's going to give Jesus an everlasting people. Two, He's going to give Jesus everlasting land. And three, He says, I'm going to be your everlasting God. Everlasting people, everlasting land, I will be their God. Now fast forward to what Paul writes in Galatians. This is, this is astonishing. Just, just hang with me here and, and just imagine and, and just think. Galatians chapter 3, 16 to 19. Here's where all, this was the purpose of Abraham's covenant right here. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, singular. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural. Referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring. And then he tells us who the offspring is, thankfully. Who is Christ? Christ is that ultimate offspring of Abraham. And then he goes on and says, this is what I mean. Thankfully he clarifies it. The law which came 430 years afterward with Moses does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. He's not deleting the promise he made to Abraham. That's what he's saying. He's not deleting the promise he made to Noah. He's adding to it. He's building on to these promises. But listen, for if the what? Inheritance. There's your inheritance word. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Verse 19, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, namely Jesus Christ, King Jesus. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. What does all that mean? First of all, Jesus is the ultimate offspring and that, that promise made to Abraham was ultimately being brought about by Jesus Christ. And then secondly, Paul tells us that the law that gave to Moses in his covenant does not delete the covenant made to Abraham. It's built on. So why the law? 
It was added because of sin. So hang with me here. God gives conditions. says, I will be their God, but you're going to have to keep these commandments. It's condemning. Who, who in here has kept all ten commandments? If you raise your hand, you just broke one of them. You just lied. Okay? Nobody has kept all the Ten Commandments in this room. There's only been one human being that has ever kept every commandment of Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, so Jesus keeps the law perfectly. So He not only died for you, He also lived for you. And on the cross, the greatest exchange in the history of humanity took place. And the history of the universe took place. On the cross, Jesus gave you His righteousness, His perfect law-keeping. It's credited to your account. And then he took your sin and God's wrath on his own head. He drank it down to the last drop, as Andy just spoke about, and we just sang about. And so Jesus is a true and faithful Israel. Jesus uh, keeps all those laws, and he secures for us this great inheritance. And so here's the good news for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 20-22. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1, says, in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. This is what he's talking about. When he uses that word inheritance, he's using it intentionally. He's not just throwing that word around. Uh, there's a biblical meaning for the word inheritance. And this is what he's talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 20-22. And see how this sounds familiar to Ephesians chapter 1. Believe it or not, the same guy wrote both letters. There's consistency. For all the promises of God. Does it say some of the promises of God? It says all the promises of God. It says all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. All of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee or as a down payment. Sounds just like Ephesians chapter 1, doesn't it? This is just like our passage here this morning. Galatians chapter 3, 28 and 29, For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's church. It's not When we, when we gather here on Sundays, on the Lord's Day, it's not about just going through a routine, collecting an offering, singing a few songs. What God has done is, is He has called you out of the domain of darkness. He has reconciled you like a divine magnet. He has drawn you out and summoned you out. And He has united you to Jesus Christ, the true and faithful offspring of Abraham. And now every promise that God ever made is now yes and amen for you who are in Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. And that is why we should be the most joyful people on the face of this planet. And that is what Paul is teaching here in Ephesians chapter 1, 11 through 14, when he mentions our inheritance. So you could say that God promised Noah, and now us in Christ, I give you everything. 
You can now say that God promised Abraham and now us who are in Christ, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. I will be your everlasting God. You could say that God has given us the land as our eternal possession. You could say that God has given us the definition of righteousness with Moses. And then God gives us his righteousness in Jesus. You could say that God promised David and now us in Christ that he would bring his king to Zion. And now we have the perfect king and his name is Jesus. And speaking of God's promise to David and David's covenant, flip with me to Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read 10 verses and we're winding up here, guys. Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 10. This is a foretaste of glory, foretaste of beauty. This is uh, hope. Uh, Hope is faith and future grace, faith looking forward. Well, here's a snapshot. Here's a a prophecy about the king that we have now inherited in Christ. Isaiah chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Just let the word of God just wash over you. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's David's line, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. When you read Isaiah, when you read these prophecies in the Old Testament, They're all fulfilled. They're all about Christ. Every one of them. Read the Old Testament like that. It'll blow your mind. The Old Testament is amazing. Leviticus is amazing. I used to hate it. Read Leviticus. It's all about what Christ fulfilled. It's how horrible your sin looks, how bloody your sin looks, and it's how glorious Christ's work on the cross is. Okay. Verse 3, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. That's you and me. Blessed are the meek. For yours is the, the, the earth is your inheritance. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Now here is cosmic reconciliation, guys. The curse is being removed off of the earth. No more blood, no more killer viruses, no more nursing homes, no more wheelchairs, no more corrupt politicians, thankfully. But listen to this, guys. Listen to what God is going to do to the animals. Listen to what God is going to do. He's going to to reunite everything. He's going to heal everything. The wolf is going to dwell with the lamb. The wolf isn't going to eat the lamb anymore. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. That's the fulfillment of David's promise, or God's promise to David right there. And guess what? You're in him. You've been brought into that great inheritance. It's yours. You've been forgiven, and not only are you forgiven, not only has the debt been paid, you've been adopted. And not only have you been adopted just to be like a, you're not like some child that is being neglected off in the corner. No, he brings you into his kingdom. And I love what Tim Keller has said in his book, The Prodigal God. He says, you would not dare to wake a king up at 3 a.m. for a drink of water unless that king was your father. And now you have the king of the universe as your father in Christ. So I just want to read verses 11 to 14 again. And with all of this knowledge and all this commentary from the Bible, Bible is the best commentary on your bookshelf, let's let, let's let verses 11 to 14 wash over us. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. So what is the result of this sound doctrine? What is the result of the word of God being heard and cherished in our hearts? The result is worship. And that's what Andy is, gonna, is going to lead us to, to come up and ask the, the praise team to come back up. There will be a day with no more curse, no more sin, no more temptation, no more pain. And guys, we've been given permission to clap. You know, there's, other, there's so many other prophecies. The trees of the field will clap their hands. The mountains are going to break forth into singing. Guys, why don't we join in with that? Why don't we, we have permission to clap. We have permission to raise our hands in worship. We have permission to enjoy the Lord. And not only do we have permission, God actually commands it. Psalm 37 verse 4 is a direct imperative. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And what we've heard about this morning is what our hearts are designed to desire after. It's this great inheritance that we've been given. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Paul's, that's an imperative from the apostle. We've been commanded to rejoice in the Lord. And so we're going to come back next week to a very important topic, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And just, just think about the Spirit. I don't want to... It's so exciting. It's so exciting. David was driven by the Holy Spirit to fight Goliath. Solomon was given, anointed with the Spirit. He was given divine wisdom. Uh, Samson was given power under the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. He ripped a lion in half with his bare hands. And then Jesus was anointed with the promised Holy Spirit at his baptism. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Guys, when that took place, that was a declaration of war. It wasn't a cute painting. When, when Jesus was anointed with the promised Holy Spirit, it was God declaring war on the principalities and on the kingdom of darkness. It was an anointing for Jesus to rule the earth that He created. 
And guys, the promised Holy Spirit has been given to us, and that's not something we should shy away from. That's something that we need to embrace. That's something we need to learn more about. But it's so much more than, than tongues and prayer languages and prophecy and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we need to remember what the point of the filling of the Holy Spirit is. The point is kingdom advancement. We have been created to rule with Jesus Christ and to tread the darkness and the gates of hell underfoot. The gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Well, guys, that's, that's offensive language. That, that's, that's what Jesus is saying is that the church is going to trample the gates of hell underfoot. We're going to follow Christ, and He's going to smash it with a rod of iron. But I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet. Let's pray. Let's sing. Uh, let's rejoice together. And uh, Andy, lead us in worship, please. Sorry. I'm going to turn this mic off before we do.